0: BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is
1: the Red Box Podcast with me, Matt Cholley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Listen on your DAB radio smart speaker online at times.radio or download the Times Radio app where you can also listen to this podcast, although we've obviously worked out where you can listen to the podcast elsewhere. <laughs> Anyway, coming up, the main thing today is we are going to look at Germany. Do the Germans really do it better, is the question that we're asking. But first, a columnist panel. It's Tuesday, so it must be Finkelvich, Danny Finkelstein and David Ivanovich. Morning, Danny. Good morning. And David Ivanovich. Morning, David. Hi, Matt. Let's uh, dive straight in. This is a, <laughs> I mean, this is a big question to try and cover in five minutes. Democracy and truth. Uh, I think this is off the back of... Uh, <laughs> Barack Obama uh, saying at the weekend, that if you don't have basic agreed truths, truths, can you have a democracy? David, can we?
2: Uh, Yeah, this is a really good question, and this is one of the things that's fascinated me for a long time, and I think it intrigues uh, Danny as well. Um, When I first wrote a book about conspiracy theories nearly a decade ago, uh, my thinking was at, at that stage that conspiracy theories were essentially taking a back a back seat that we were, had got a handle on them, and everything since then has given the light to that particular contention. And one of the things that is really dramatic, and this is what Barack Obama was referring to, is to see literally millions of Republican voters believing a ridiculous conspiracy theory about how the election is being stolen on the back of no evidence whatsoever. I cannot think of a parallel for such a widespread delusion in a modern democracy, um, in other words, in a post-war democracy, uh, and the way in which that delusion comes about, the way in which it's fostered, and the things that you do about it, were the subject of what Obama was talking about, and I actually feel more worried by that than I do almost by any other phenomenon um, in, in modern democracy.
1: Well, What do you think, David? How can, If
3: people aren't going to play by the rules, how can we um, yeah, well, have that debate? My, I've just been reading a, a book that was written by my grandfather in 1919 when he came back from the First World War in Germany. It's just been translated into English. It's going to be published in January. And it was a warning about conspiracy theories in Germany. Uh, and uh, what he said is called Towards Pogroms. And he said, you know, basically uh, the breakdown of our idea about what's true, what's true and the uh, spreading of these rumours will ultimately lead to, uh, dis, you know, democratic and liberal disaster, which, of course, is what did follow. Uh, and I read that at the same time as reading these stories, uh, you know, people commenting under my column last week, which was about Donald Trump's failure to give losers consent to the election result, uh, by claiming completely falsely that there had been some evidence uh, of... Uh, fraud in the election, and I, you know, I received just just about ten minutes ago from a Republican think tank, a uh, Republican orientated think tank, a completely baseless uh, suggestion. So I, I would I would say on the question of truth, obviously one of the things that democracy does is test hypotheses about the truth uh so you you can't say there'll be one view of the truth because obviously scientific development depends on us testing hypotheses but you have to have some sort of acceptance that uh of what evidence means and what re uh, and what's reasonable to, to to debate and countenance because otherwise you end up in a complete fantasy and very dangerous it is too
1: What can we do, though, David, to sort of get that genie back in the bottle, to sort of get everyone to agree to these sort of the unwritten rules of of political debate? And that becomes a
2: really problematic question. I mean, uh, Barack Obama, uh, for example, says that somehow or other we have got to get to a situation whereby, for example, the tech companies agree to uh, take down uh, manifest untruths um, in a significant act of, uh, essentially, of censorship. Um, of those kind of... And they're already, as we know, Twitter already doing it about things like the pandemic and also to, uh, putting warnings on Trump's own tweets about, uh, about the election. But that strikes me as actually getting at it too late. And the thing I want to get at, and I, I wonder what Danny thinks about this, because this goes back to his 1919 point as well. The big problem comes when people who are or have been in the relative mainstream of politics and public life for various reasons, endorse theories like this, and that is the point at which, in my in my terminology, it jumps the species barrier. Because, you know, it's like the kind of bat virus becomes the human virus. Uh, this is the batty virus becomes the mainstream virus, uh, and so on. And, yes. and, and I don't know how to engender a kind of much greater sense of responsibility amongst those. It happened amongst conservative politicians in weimar Germany. Um, it's happened amongst Republican politicians in modern america um, and until they feel i think a kind of the danger for themselves of uh, of this kind of, of of this departure from truth, I don't quite actually know what to do yeah. about
3: it other than to Look. keep on keeping on. First of all, you may not be able to do anything about it, but the the only way of deal, dealing with that in the mainstream is to inflict uh, continuous uh, and consistent political defeat on those people who won't see reality. And um, that is, and, and eventually they'll see, you know, the Republican Party, will only understand the, uh, the the nature of its error when it sees it's on a loser and it's on a loser repeatedly. And unfortunately, it doesn't see that at the moment. In fact, quite the contrary. And I'm afraid in the absence of that, it's extremely difficult to know what to do. I mean, you can, you can be robust about the truth, but you can't um, force people to uh, adopt it, unfortunately. Uh, And what about uh, this idea that that
1: sort of mushy centrists have had that, uh, you know, the departure of Donald Trump from the White House and Dominic Cummings from Downing Street means that politics might go back to being nice and like the
3: olden days again? I do think, <laughs> but I don't. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, Trevor Phillips had a piece uh, in in the Times earlier this week. Completely, um, he was sort of contemptuous of that view, and I'm not. I think those were real victories, um, and uh, they are. A, uh, and 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 I think um, they, because I do think that uh, winning political victories does often change, you know, narratives of political parties and organisations, uh, and and losing them does too. Um, so, but I, you know, so I, I, I. I think those were good things. It, it would obviously be uh, premature to say that, you know, that means that the whole battle is over. It isn't. <laughs> what do you think, David? I, I,
1: I. I
2: yeah i i tend to agree with that which is it's far better to have those victories than not have those victories because if you can imagine how it goes the other way then it really is absolutely catastrophic it allows you a basis and it does mean that some people are you know around the edges are going to think do i really want to go then is this really where i want to end up and so on uh, but the other thing is i have to say since so many conspiracy theories over history in the end get pointed at jews frankly let's not kind of uh, mince our words here The other thing i kind of think is keep that suitcase packed maybe by the door because these are strange times
3: i'm afraid that's a frequently discussed issue in the jewish community and i've always um, said i'm not going to do that um you know but i do note that was also the attitude of both of my grandfathers and eventually they had to use rucksacks instead well, yeah. It's, I mean, let's let's hope it never never comes to that.
1: On the subject of uh, of uh, truth, and this perhaps matters uh, slightly less. Although I don't know, um, there's been a lot of debate about um, the level of truth in political drama, in particular the Crown, uh, which is obviously yeah. telling telling real life stories, uh, but they turn out to be more stories than than real life. Does it matter, Danny? That, that, that there's a bit well, more fiction in the latest series?
3: So, uh, like anybody who knows anything and watches a TV, programme about it, I'm sure this is the same for like doctors and nurses and policemen <laughs> when they watch drama dramas about those things. It annoys me when I watch things and they're not actually what happened. But I, my mind was slightly changed on this when I wrote a piece about Hamilton, and various people wrote in saying, you know, it's ridiculous, Washington wasn't, um, and it, you know, was wasn't black, and uh, they they you using an African American to play Washington, um, and um, and I, I, I responded, yes. Well, that's true, but they, you know, when, when they introduced the federal assumption of state debt, they didn't do it in song either, right? Um, so, so uh, you know, uh, um, Washington didn't sing his last speech. So, it, 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 you can't expect the, anybody who expects these programs, which are um, which 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 are fiction, you know, which are fictionalized versions of the truth, to be exactly accurate. I do demand I do argue that they do have to represent they ought to represent some the essential truth, and that is the dramatist's job uh and and i th- I think that sometimes the crown uses too much speculation uh but sometimes it tells the essential truths What do you think david i mean part i mean i actually have only i've only seen
1: the first one of the new series um and I thought it was all right i mean um uh but uh there's part of me that thinks that it's so interesting what actually did happen because it involves politics and royals and all that is there any need to sort of muddy, you know make things up and muddy that you know creating in mean, the, the first episode you know they create the um impression that Mountbatten and Charles had fallen out before he died and actually the seems to be an accepted idea that, that they hadn't um i mean i'm sure it really adds to my uh, enjoyment of it do you know i think that the answer to this probably is
2: it it depends what the intention is mm. and then one of the consequences, it depends what the consequences for living people could be. So quite a lot of the people now being depicted in The Crown are still alive, and if it were true that these were calumnies on their real characters and I have no idea one way or the other, then in that case you have actually caused real damage and dislike to a living person and therefore maybe they deserve it maybe they don't but i would like to think that they deserved it and that therefore you've got it true the only thing about intention is let's say that your intention was by depicting what you said was the truth was a very particular thing which was let's say to increase republican sentiment in britain because they and dislike the royal family and you kind of and you were setting about it would it matter then that you used untruths to get there? And I would argue that it did matter. It matters quite a lot, actually, um, because a reworking of history in that sense reflects upon the present and is an attempt to change people's mind in the present with a relative level of dishonesty.
1: And I suppose you know, going to Danny's point, that you know we get annoyed if there's a drama set in the House of Commons. You think, well, that's not quite how the procedure works that' all. So. But there's a difference between <laughs> uh, you know doctors and nurses being annoyed by casualty but a particular doctor being annoyed <laughs> by his, you know, portrayal yeah. in a drama which made out that he was a terrible doctor and
3: actually was quite a good one. And I suppose I, that's the... I mean, I also think, um, you know, so the, the film Selma uh, has in has in it um, the question of whether on his second crossing of the uh, Selma, of the bridge, um, uh, the, the Edward Pettus Bridge, The why did Martin Luther King turn back um, at the at the bridge? And the reason he did it was because he didn't want to break federal law. This was an essential part of Martin Luther King, and this was effectively changed in the film. And the reason it was changed was because the producer wanted to demonstrate uh, that um, African Americans had been the author of their own liberation, uh, and he didn't want Lyndon Johnson's role of what which is what had actually happened. to be the, uh, to, 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 to sort of, to Lyndon Johnson to be part of the liberator. Um, and um, I went back and forward on this because it wasn't actually the historical truth. It did distort something that was important. On the other hand, it was saying something that I suppose in the overall history of the civil rights movement was true. So I suppose these things are art and they're there to argue over. And the people who are making the mistake are people who think it's just history and it isn't. There was a great, I think it was, there was a letter doing the rounds on
1: Twitter yesterday. Um, I think it was from the Telegraph and someone had written in him absolutely furious about um, Prince Charles's fishing uh, technique (laughs) in the... um,
4: in the crowd, <laughs> apparently it was all
1: wrong the way that you do fly fishing and he definitely wouldn't have caught a salmon with that rod or something so i suppose it's all all these yeah. you know everyone has their own uh particular um holes to pick um go
2: on, go, go on danny it's your danny it's your joke you say it i
3: don't know it doesn't work is it i talked about it somebody said is this real and they spelt it r-e-a-l and i suggested <laughs> maybe it should be r-e-e-l That works a little bit less well on radio, David. I mean, a lot less well, some (laughs) would argue. I don't know. Um, (laughs)
1: know. (laughs) (laughs) We were also just going to talk... Thank you. uh, Just very quickly, uh, advisors. Uh, Do we overestimate them? Should we stop talking about them? The power of the Eminence Grease... Uh, and should we focus more on the ruler rather than the than the court of advisers around them, David? Well, I definitely think this is true. I remember when Tony Blair was uh, in office, there were people who made an awful
2: lot of song and dance about how the real... I remember the, the political editor of the Daily Mirror or something saying, actually, the real power is Peter Manson. Somebody else would say, no, it's Alastair Campbell, Tony Blair is nothing. And then actually, when you get into the uh, memoirs, etc., it's pretty clear that it's more... It's Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and the dynamic between them, mostly Tony Blair all the way through. Um, It's not Dominic Cummings, it's Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson has the power, this number 10 is shaped by him, and it will be shaped by him, whether it's Dominic Cummings or Allegra Stratton, whoever it is, we want to... cut And I think you agree with this, Matt, don't you, actually? Because uh, you kind of s- sense that th- that's how the shaping happens. But I'm interested in what Danny mm. thinks, because he's actually been much closer uh, to that process than I have. Yeah,
3: I don't 100% agree with that. I sort of mainly agree with that. In the end, you can't... In the end, the Prime Minister's the Prime Minister. Uh, they'll have the faults of that pr- person and they'll have the benefits of that person and they'll make the big decisions, right? That That's n- unquestionably true, but it does... Make matter you know who they who who they are, how they organize their staff. I've just been reading a book called The Gatekeepers about Washington Chief of Staff and, you know, Jimmy Carter's decision not to have a chief of staff in his first two or three years. Yes. That it was partly because of the way that Jimmy Carter was that his pre- uh, that his presidency turned out how it was. That was main reason. But it did matter uh, that he chose an inappropriate person to be his chief of staff. It definitely has mattered um, that Dominic Cummings was the chief of staff effectively. Uh, although, and, and there's a whole another question, not in by name, and I don't think he did that job. Actually, itself, but that, that he had the job as the sort of head person. It was definitely important in Boris Johnson's uh, premiership. It, it will not. It, it, he'll be left still when Dominic Cummings is left with Boris Johnson, and with all that means, um, both good and bad points of him. Uh, but it does. It does matter. I I haven't agreed with the coverage that says this is all a soap opera. We're not right to cover it uh, in the way that we do. I think the people who were very close to the prime minister they are very consequential i've seen it myself over and over again and um it's right to cover them with the same sort of coverage that you'd give to shifting for example the chance of the exchequer th- those people are very important
1: yeah i mean i th- i think i mean i think you're right that, that i think the nature of the coverage and the soap opera tells us something as well that it, because it is a bit of a soap opera, and it's all about what Limbs yes. Lee said to Carrie and all of that. Um, actually, what it tells you, they didn't really disagree about very much uh, in terms of policy or ideology. A lot of it is to do with ego and who's up and who's down. Um, yeah. And what the thing that really strikes me—I wrote about this yesterday—is that. Is that there is no project. There is no, and I think that's where it's different to Tony Blair. Actually, is that well, Tony Blair did know what he wanted to do, and I don't think Boris
3: Johnson does, which is I'm why sure. he's slightly at the I, mercy
1: of his advisers.
3: I haven't completely agreed with this idea. That they're not arguing about anything. I think you know because I, I said when they chose Allegra Stratton that it would make uh, a, a difference because she came from, came at the job from a different angle. The 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 issues like attacking the deciding to attack the Supreme Court or briefing against the BBC. These things, which are important part of this government, are actually things that were obsessions of Dominic Cummings and Lee Kane. Most of the things that people, by the way, used to say, the Prime Minister said, the Prime Minister spokesman said, oh, it's just Dominic Cummings saying that. Often that was actually Lee Kane who was saying them. Uh, and And I think that those things that the Prime Minister's... Uh, sort of priorities and the way it ex- government expresses itself, both of which matter, will definitely change. So I don't think they have been arguing about nothing, uh, actually. Okay. Um but Danny, uh, I think but this, Danny, whole this whole is... aggressive style was 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 was, was but Danny, part of what Dominic Cummings brought to it, and Boris Johnson doesn't agree with it, but he is going to be left but this with. this is, you know, Do- Boris Johnson. <laughs> Go on, David. You have the final I know, but words. This is...
2: Well, this is an odd thing, isn't it, really? And I'm sure that Dan is absolutely right about this. But are we really seriously saying that the Prime Minister didn't agree with what his office was saying most of the time about things like the BBC all these things that get Tories really worked up through the Daily Telegraph and other places as well? He just didn't agree with them, but he let them carry on... If he let them carry on, then he's going to let the next person do what.
1: Well,
3: he, he hasn't has let them carry let them on. Carry that's on. why. That's <laughs> why they've gone. Or <laughs> well, maybe maybe I mean, well, like, let let other half calling, hasn't right? let
1: them carry on more pressingly. <laughs> 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 there's a brilliant, um, and I assume there's a bit of briefing that Rachel Sylvester's got in her column today um, when. Uh, <laughs> She, she talks about how uh, uh, Lee Kane's allies have suggested the cabal of posh Southern women have ousted him, uh, a working class man from Lancashire. And then the briefing that um, Allegra Stratton really isn't just a, sos- po- a posh Southern woman is that when she worked for ITN, she reported on some police in Birmingham and she went to a hospital once in Liverpool, which I'm sure makes her much more in touch with the common man. Anyway, uh, that's quite enough of that. Perhaps you're listening to this and thinking, oh, I'd like a bit more of that. Well, who can blame you, frankly? You can listen to my Times radio show Monday to Thursday, ten till one. It's basically all of this, but three hours every day of politics without the boring bits. And there's more red box
0: coming up. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at Lutonrising.org.uk. Welcome back to the Red Box Podcast,
1: I'm Matt Chorley, and now it's time to bring you the big thing from my Times Radio Show. No national stereotype, not exploited. <laughs> so, we're going to talk Germany. Uh, Germany, the country of ruthless efficiency, and let's be honest, delicious sausages. And particularly good umpar band cover versions. It's also the country... In Western Europe, it appears to be dealing with coronavirus better than all its neighbours. Their testing was ramped up uh, immediately uh, as the pandemic hit. It, early interventions meant that the death toll there is still under 13,000, depending on the um, uh, figure that you use uh, for the UK. It's it's much, much higher than that. Uh, in fact, some new ONS uh, statistics out for the UK say that the number of excess deaths since the start of the pandemic has now hit 70 thousand so what we want to ask today was does G- Germany do it better and if so why how obviously the reason we're not doing this from Germany is absolutely because of the travel restrictions and not because we blew the budget on the umpar bad so all aboard to Times Radio Airways. <laughs> Put your seat in the upright position. In a moment we'll be joined by German journalist Peter Litger, economist Marcel Fratscher, and presenter of Meet the Germans, Rachel Stewart. But first I caught up with the Times Berlin correspondent, Oliver Moody, and I asked him, do the Germans do it better?
5: There's a lovely word in German, "Projektionsfläche," which means uh, literally a projection surface, and it's an object or a person that you look at and you see only what you want to see. Um, and I think Germany is a, a for the British in a lot of ways. Um, whether we're romanticizing it as a country of perfect efficiency and good governance, or we're demonizing it as some sort of stronghold of foolhardy liberalism, or a country bent on European domination. So I'm quite suspicious of the current fashion for Germany worship. But um, I do think there are some features of German culture that might look quite boring um, when things are going well but um, have really kind of come into their own during the, the pandemic and, and now look quite attractive.
1: Um, I mean, obviously, lots of people have, have, right from the very beginning of the pandemic, way back in in March, noticed that, that Germany seemed to act more quickly. It's certainly got testing uh, up and running more quickly, and as a result, hasn't seen the, the level of uh, cases and deaths. Is it a reasonable comparison to make between Britain and Germany, do you think?
5: In some ways, no, in that uh, Germany has, as a result of the Second World War, got a very devolved federal system that gives local authorities a lot more latitude to act. So there are some ways in which it's quite a special case, but in other ways, yes, absolutely. Um, One of the things I would point to is um, right at the start of the pandemic, uh, when it became clear that if there were infections in your area, you'd need to get hold of all the people who might've been infected, and um, tell them to stay at home. The Germans thought, well, okay, we've already got a system that does this um, through these, these local authorities when we're used to doing it with you know, gonorrhea or measles. So why don't we just amp that up massively and, and use that for our contact tracing? And during the first wave, that system worked extremely well while the British were still debating whether to build these kind of world-beating call centers in Sunderland.
1: Uh, and what about Angela Merkel's role in this? Because, I mean, you're right, because of the political structures uh, in Germany, we'll talk about those uh, later as well. Um, it, you know, she sort of gets the credit, at least internationally, for uh, apparently having uh, handled the, the, the pandemic uh, better. B- but what you're saying is that actually most of those decisions weren't taken by her.
5: That's true. And the federal government and Angela Merkel have found themselves sort of in a, in a weird, com combination of being an executive government but also of being a kind of advisory power and um, a supplicant in some cases begging the um, the state chiefs who really have the power to make all of the decisions to um, try and get any kind of nationwide levels that make sense.
1: And how is Britain viewed in Germany if if we've spent recent months uh, and it you know goes against the British character probably. Uh, to to uh, look on enviously at Germany. How is Britain viewed over there?
5: I think the short answer to that question would be disaster porn, in that <laughs> um, first of all, Germans have got very used to the soap opera of Brexit and absolutely got this very strong sense of schadenfreude, watching all of the twists and turns of the country tearing itself apart politically, and now when you read the media accounts of the first and second waves of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, in Britain, um, through the German media, there's very much a sense that the, the government has got everything wrong and um, Britain is, is kind of sliding into absolute chaos.
1: <laughs> that uh, That is probably uh, not a view unique to um, uh, Germany. Uh, is, is there any sense of um, change coming to Germany? Obviously Angela Merkel's been there for a long time, but uh, she's on her way out. Is that likely to change uh, the way that Germany operates, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the way that it has done for so long?
5: So on, on, on one level, absolutely, in that um, it's very much a country going into transition and trying to think about what kind of country it wants to be, particularly in terms of the economy and um, in terms of its foreign policy. But on another level, there has been so much overwhelming public support for and pride in the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, but also um, a belief in these sort of central features of German culture. You can talk about what's called gründlichkeit, which is sort of thoroughness and um, Sachlichkeit, which is sort of thinginess or, or, or more colloquially objectivity as um, ways of fostering a culture that really prioritizes strategic thinking and is skeptical of, of over promises and, um, flashy rhetoric and hmm. i think those are quite steady features of the way germans talk in the political sphere and those aren't going to go away anytime soon
1: uh, well that was oliver moody there at the times berlin correspondent i spoke to him earlier on right well let's uh, let's uh, stay in germany we can now speak to peter litger who's a german author and a journalist who focuses on culture and language good morning peter Hello, good morning. So, um, we I just had uh, Oliver there, sort of explaining sort of the immediate uh, differences in terms of handling the pandemic and uh, and you know the, the the devolved structure and so on. Uh, explain to us a bit more about uh, the culture of in Ger- the way that German culture differs to the UK and the impact that has on the way it's run as a country
6: well it's i have been thinking about it um very very much in, in, in the light of the of the brexit uh, debates and of course now in the light of corona of the corona um situation and i think that um as uh, oliver put it um uh, quite rightly i think there is this sense of uh, sachlichkeit of that uh, of that uh, eagerness to um to be rational and to 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 listen and look at the facts and uh, be a bit boring because of it, perhaps. <laughs> but um, yeah, be more thorough and uh, think twice before you let um, before you, well, before you speak.
1: I mean, it is. It's not just a sort of lazy stereotype to say that politics in Germany is more boring than it has been in the UK. I mean, if only because Angela Merkel's been there since. 2005, and if we look at, I mean, I'm just trying to work out how many prime ministers we've been through since 2005. So Blair, Brown, Cameron, May, we're now on our fifth prime minister uh, in the entire time that Angela Merkel's been there. Is 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 a is a sort of political watcher in Germany? Is it a is it a boring spectator sport?
6: well it's a country based on uh, coalition governments and on coalition and sort of collaboration thinking i mean you uh, that is also probably the reason why uh, uh, politicians are more wary and more careful uh, when it comes to judgments you know in public because they never know if if they uh, will be uh, dealing and working with the opponent uh, in the next round and uh, if uh, and then uh, you um you you are naturally more um, careful and uh, try to for example also maybe listen to the experts more than trying to be the expert yourself and um that is um i mean the the reason why merkel is in office for so long is because she has uh, had a, she has led coalition governments she couldn't have done it uh, with her party alone and so it brings us to the the party system and to the political system where we don't have the first past the post we have a proportional system and so as a politician you don't need to be as loud you can still get into parliament even without sort of make being the only the the only contestant who wins and uh, that is i think a, a crucial difference between our two countries where um i mean the, the level of judgment that you see in your parliament and in the media by politicians uh, Would in Germany seem like somebody's displaying a a behavioral uh, problem? You know, like there are very (laughs) often moments when you think, "Oh my God, this!" You know, people wouldn't get away with in in my country, and it makes it more exciting and much more entertaining. But uh, also, um. More, dif- dif- more difficult. It's yes. not. Yeah, the,
1: the the entertainment factor might not necessarily correlate with uh, with good <laughs> government. Um, I I was looking at the the YouGov uh, tracker, which they do. I think sort of every week uh, on uh, government handling of the coronavirus. Mm. And uh, very early on, Germany and the UK were almost exactly the same on sort of seventy percent of people saying it was being handled well back in April. Uh, now uh, Germany's down to about fifty five percent. The UK down to about thirty percent. Um, do you think that uh, people, um, it, it helps, as you were saying, that Angela Merkel being a slightly sort of drier figure, actually in, in in a pandemic like this, you need someone who's going to deliver you, you know bad news in a reliable and consistent way and give you instructions that people will adhere to. Um, whereas actually what we've seen in the UK sometimes is, you know, a, a tendency towards optimism. It's all going to be all right by July. It's all going to be all right by September. It's all going to be all right by Christmas. And that sort of uh, feeds in into it. Uh, do you think that the, the, um, the pandemic has had any impact on the way that people view their politicians in Germany?
6: Well, I certainly played into Angela Merkel's hand and into the into the hands of the country that she's a scientist. I mean, she's a, a um, you know has a PhD in physics, and and people assume, and I do assume, that she has a, a great uh, some knowledge. Uh, it also, by the way, played a role when she decided to uh, leave the in a sort of nuclear energy um, the nuclear energy shift shift that she has a scientific background and. Um, and so people um would on the one hand uh, listen to her i mean she has um, many critics but but uh, when she speaks it uh, is um you know well informed and on the other hand there is also a culture where you bring in uh, experts um and uh, as oliver explained um the government is then uh, more a moderator rather than the sort of strong executive power. I mean, there is not such a sense in Germany, the notion of a strong executive power. Merkel just yesterday didn't get what she wanted. She had to negotiate it with uh, the the state, on, with, you know, the 16 states, the lender on that tier. And um, so it's always about negotiation and reasoning. And if you cannot do that very well, then you, like her predecessor, give up at some point, <laughs> or you have the uh, the the... the the stamina and the perseverance to, to really um, yeah to, to, to go that long way that she that she has gone so far and I think it is uh, important to see that she is a, that she has a scientific background, um, um, but it cannot it doesn't answer all the questions. I mean the 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 thing here is also that. Um, uh, we don't discuss, you know, what you discuss a lot: strong leadership. I mean, I can't, I don't really. Uh, I mean, when AKK, the you know the <clears throat> the, the defense minister came in, and um, probably slightly too boring. And then there was <laughs> a lot about strong leadership, but we don't usually discuss it. We um, uh, here in this country, it's not it's not such a you know constant debate about whether the the executive power is strong enough or not, because it um, it always is about compromise. And, um, and, and, and it is a system and a country where um, I think it was built from the, from the, you know, after the war, from the beginning to handle crisis, to avoid crisis. And maybe we talk less about um, what we want to gain all the time and what we want to do better in the future and, you know, like the Americans reach new frontiers. But, we, but Germany basically uh, is, um, is a country where people want to believe that they can keep what they have and avoid crisis. It's also that politicians don't promise so much for the future. They try. I think the general notion is let's stay, let's keep things as we have them. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't, yeah, we could probably do with a bit bit less uh,
1: turmoil and change here in the UK. Peter Litger, uh, German author and journalist, uh, really good to speak to you. Let's uh, focus on the German economy now. Marcel Fatcher is head of the German Institute for Economic Research. Morning, Marcel.
7: Hi, good morning. Uh,
1: It's a bit of a cliche that the Germans are good at making things. German manufacturing is uh, is uh, you know the the bedrock of the economy. Is that is that true? And has it made a difference to Germany's ability to? I mean, literally, obviously, in in recent months, make things like masks and PPE and that sort of thing.
7: No, I I wouldn't say so. Uh, I mean, in many ways, if you look at the German economy, it should have been. it, It is much more exposed and much more threatened by the virus than uh, in most other economies, because we have a very open economy in Germany. Almost half of the, the economy are exports um, that are particularly hard hit now in the crisis. Um, yes, we have these positive examples of now two of the companies, BioNTech, Gouravec, coming up with the, with the vaccine, but so you do, do you in, in the UK. Um, no, I, I don't think um, the, the strength of the manufacturing or the, the size of the manufacturing sector is a strength. It's rather weakness of vulnerability. The German auto sector is a deep crisis, has been a deep crisis already before the pandemic. Um, so I think uh, what really makes maybe the German economy different is its structure, the very heavy reliance on mid-sized, often family-run businesses that have been in the family for, for generations. And those are very resilient, so they are not into short term profits; they often have a long term perspective have uh, more substance, more savings to to weather such a crisis. So if I really look at the economy and would we'll have to pinpoint what um, what, make, what what is the strength of the German economy, that probably would be the one point
1: uh, the u k economy is down, although it grew uh, quite strongly uh, in the three months of July to september the u k economy is still about 8% smaller than it was before the, the uh, pandemic hit. What's the similar picture for the German economy?
7: The German economy probably might shrink 6% this year. I mean, if you look at the globe, the world economy, we are talking about the uh, global economy shrinking 4%. Uh, so that shows you, yes, Germany's hit less hard than the UK, France, Italy, Spain, but it's hit harder than most other economies in the world. Um and I think, probably, to me, uh, the biggest reason for that is um, a very strong government fiscal stimulus. So there, there's no, probably no country in the world that had bigger fiscal stimulus programs, um, direct help for companies, uh, for workers, a furlough scheme, which is very effective, has been implemented already in the global financial crisis, uh, preventing people from becoming unemployed. So it's, I think, that very strong social security system Uh, and very strong uh, elements in in the government response that has prevented an even deeper decline. Because as I said, if you look at the dependence on exports, that alone would say, the German economy should be hit harder than most other Europeans.
1: It's really good to speak to you. Mark, Marcel uh, Fratcher there, head of the German Institute for Economic uh, Research. Well, let's look a bit more at the culture, what it's really like to be in Germany. Rachel Stewart joins me now. Uh, she presents, uh, she's a journalist, and presents Meet the Germans on uh, German TV. Rachel, you're a Brit in Germany. Um, morning. I am <laughs> um, what, uh so, so maybe you can sort of try and bridge the gap. I mean, Oliver did it a bit for us as well. But what are the... What are the cultural differences uh, that you see between Britain and Germany, which you think means that, that, that Germany seems to have dealt with this particular crisis better than, than the UK? Uh,
4: well, it's definitely something I've discussed with friends over in the UK uh, throughout the pandemic yet. And I would say, as one of your previous guests said, of course, Germany, as it's seen is quite a pragmatic nation. And people do generally respect science. They love facts and figures. So I guess they were more bound to react to this in a more analytical way rather than emotional. Um, They've got Angela Merkel, a scientist in charge, so if she's presenting the facts clearly, then they're more likely to respond to what she's saying and respect it and then follow the rules. Um, And we've come to rules, because Germany is known as being a nation that loves to follow rules. And I do (laughs) think that's the case. It does have a bit of an interesting contradiction in that Germany, more than many other countries, knows the problems of... State control and state surveillance. So there's widespread scepticism of of too much state control, but at the same time, they do like to behave uh, properly and sensibly, and they also like to check up on what each other are doing. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of part of the culture of, of checking up on your your neighbour if they're doing things correctly, if they're sticking to the rules of noise control, if they're recycling properly, and we've kind of seen a bit of that during the pandemic that people you know will judge each other of if they're following the rules properly if they've been perhaps having one too many guests over um there's been a lot of that on social media
1: <laughs> and is, is it because was a big debate in the uk about snitching and uh you know mm. um various politicians being t- you know saying whether or not they would snitch on their neighbor in the u you know to the police <laughs> if they were having a big barbecue and that sort of thing is that sort of thing been going on in germany then
4: Well, to be honest, that's the norm here anyway. (laughs) So uh, we've got this thing called the Ordnungsamt, which is a bit like the local authority for keeping control of public order. And um, you will call them, or your neighbours will call them if you're having a barbecue when you shouldn't be, in your smoke's going over their fence. <laughs> uh, so actually, <laughs> it's quite normal. We just we
1: just have local that, Facebook groups for that. People say, "Oh, who was having a bonfire? Who's <laughs> you know, who's what was that bang? It was that fireworks and all that." Uh, what are current, exactly. what what currently are the rules? Because obviously, England at the moment we're, we're we're about halfway through this sort of second lockdown. Uh, Wales have come out of theirs. Scotland are potentially heading back into another. What, what, what are the current rules? What can you currently do in Germany and what can't you do?
4: Well, they're calling it lockdown light, but it's still um, a step away from really saying that we, we can't leave our home. At the moment, it does seem to be a bit more uh, on the terms of we advise you to do this rather than you are bound from doing this, which I think is the approach they've tried to take for most of the pandemic. Uh, because the German people react better to that. They don't want to be banned from doing something, but if they're told that something uh, is the best option and they would be advised to do that scientifically, then they're quite likely to to behave within those rules. So, for example, we've been told yesterday, after the, the talk didn't quite go as Angela and Angela had planned, um, that we should avoid public transport where possible, but we still can go to work if we need to. Uh, they want us to be at home office, but they're not banning us from going to work. Um, And at the moment, I believe it's still two households that are allowed to meet in public. Um, No amateur sports, but um, yeah, they're basically going on the basis of advising people rather than banning things.
1: Uh, Now, um, because I knew you were coming on, I had a look at your uh, Twitter feed and explain (laughs) why you ran a poll about the best thing about German houses.
4: (laughs) Well, um, I actually think it's been on my list for a while of, of the things to cover in the videos because... I guess it's just things I see all the time uh, having moved to Germany, the little everyday differences between the homes here and the mm-hmm. home in the UK. And actually, the one that was uh, the windows that you have here, which have the, the different ways of opening. You can uh, completely open them, or you can put them on what's called the Kip, which is slightly tilted, which actually ties into this debate very nicely because uh, Luften, which is to air out a room, has actually kind of become government policy one of the uh, focus oh, points that's really of, interesting. Uh, how to deal with corona always
1: <laughs> always having your windows slightly open
4: exactly yes well there's different types of doing it you can either always have them slightly open or you can for five minutes open all of the windows uh, wide even if it's the dead of winter uh, to just get a rush of fresh air in and that's actually been advised uh, in order to help keep the schools open They suggested that you need to keep ventilating the room. They've been discussing whether there's a better way of doing it, some kind of air filtration system, rather than simply (laughs) blasting the kids with cold air during the winter. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it's definitely been been in the media a lot, actually, the discussion about the importance of of airing a room out, which has been interesting for people like me, who've been slightly mocking the Germans for years for, for this cultural habit.
1: The, yeah, so the windows come out top, followed by roller blinds, individual duvets, and then shelf toilets. Explain, explain what a shelf <laughs> toilet is.
4: Oh, dear. I mean, someone said they had to go and Google it. I, I uh, perhaps recommend people don't do that. Um, yeah, that's just a, an interesting uh, way of inspecting what's come yeah. out the other end, which for many Germans is an important uh, health
1: Oh, <laughs> I think we'll probably leave that there. Uh, but, Rachel, really good to speak to you. Uh, that's Rachel Stewart there, uh, a Brit in Germany, presenter of uh, Meet the Germans, talking... And we seem to end up with toilets and bathrooms, whatever we whatever we discuss on this show. But a um, uh, really fascinating uh, discussion there about not just the politics and the pandemic, but the economy and the cultural differences between Britain and Germany. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing, uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB online via smart speaker or on the Times radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe.